Okay. This is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This month's book is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, which was published in 1953. Joining us today is Natalie Christensen in Salt Lake City. Natalie, tell us a bit about yourself and your connection to the book. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I taught high school, um, high school English and special education in New York City for four years, did middle school for one year and then high school for three years. So I taught this book, I think I taught it three years in a row. And so that's kind of my like biggest connection to this book. And then I did, I used it for part of my thesis topic also, which I think we'll probably get into a little bit more later. Yeah, definitely. We love that. Well, yeah, Welcome. give us a little hint of what what it, what was your thesis on? Yeah, oh, just a little teaser. I just did my thesis on um, how to make required texts more culturally and socially relevant to students reading them. Since there's like so many books that students have to read that are just kind of like part of this rote curriculum that sometimes sometimes students get really into the book. Sometimes they're like not interested at all which would probably be true of any book, but especially sometimes these books that are like, you know, this one was written in like, I think 1951 and lots of like whiteness in a lot of these books. I taught a lot of kids of color. So I was just interested in how to make books feel like really relevant and pertinent to their lives. That's really cool. Ooh. Yeah. I want to hear how that, how that really, how you brought in Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) Fahrenheit 451 was kind of like, an easy sell for this because it is so like when you read it it's just kind of like this like unnerving and like eerily canny of how similar it feels to so many modern day life things and I think this issue of censorship is evergreen and especially right now but even when I taught this book in like the late 2010s um it still felt really evergreen um but we talked about like I would show them we would watch um, Beyonce's formation video. I can't remember what year it came out, but it was like around that time that that music video came out. And, um, and then in re- there was like a lot of response to that video and like cultural backlash of people then like boycotting Beyonce shows or like some cops. Maybe this happened all over the country, but I specifically remember, I think it was in like Florida. Some cops refused to do security for her show because of that video because she talks about like police brutality and, um, you know, like black pride. And I don't think they were like necessarily boycotting the black pride piece, but boycotting that idea of like police brutality being a thing. Um, anyway, so we would like watch that and just kind of talk about this like relationship of like who's censoring who and how do we censor each other and how do like systems and organizations enforce censorship or like censor each other. So, um, anyway, yeah. I love that. Um, before we get deeper into the themes, because those are very fascinating, and that's like the whole essence of this book, especially from an institutional level of who's censoring who. Um, yeah. Let's do a quick, a quick little summary of this cute book. This cute book. <laughs> it's so good. A very it's cute book. A very darling, little, charming book. Mm-hmm. Adorable, uh, yeah, so charming. <laughs> it's so charming. Um, 
I'm just going to pull a plug. Pull a plug. Ugh, I'm just going to say that Ray Bradbury is probably one of my favorite authors of all time. I think he's a prophet. I think he knows. I think he saw and he was very willing to talk about things. And and he understood how far problems could go. And he really shows that with this book. Um, Who feels comfortable with a little summary? I prepped one, sort of. So I can kind of like try to conversationally read it. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's too long. It's like two paragraphs. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so in this book, the protagonist's name is Guy Montag. He's a fireman, and he's living in a society where all books are banned and burned, and so as a fireman, this is part of his job. And he's married to a woman named Mildred. She's kind of dead inside. She's pretty <laughs> bland, boring, feels like she doesn't have a really like a lot of personality. She watches TV all day and calls people on TV her family. Um, and so one day, like right at the beginning of the book, he meets a neighbor girl who's like 17 and she's really curious and inquisitive and she's like this deep thinker and he starts chatting with her and she asks him if he ever reads any of the books he burns and he's like no of course not and as they're kind of talking and chatting we get a sense of the society they live in now like it's really fast paced there's no time to stop and enjoy nature he doesn't even notice that there's like dew on the grass in the morning um she asks Guy if he's happy, and he's like, what? Of course I'm happy. But then as he goes home that night and thinks on it, he's like, I'm really not happy. And he um, comes home, finds that his wife is overdosed. Doctors pump her stomach. They come comment on how this type of thing happens all the time. His wife's, like, really nonplussed. So there's just kind of this, like, weird world we're living in. Um, obviously, some similarities to our world. But anyway, so that kind of sets up the world. Um, he really realizes something's wrong when he is sent to this other woman's house to burn her books and she chooses to die instead of giving up her books. So he decides to steal a book because he's kind of intrigued. Like, why would somebody die for this? And his boss, the fire chief, is suspicious. Visits him. The fire chief tries to explain why books are bad and why would they burn them. Um, this only serves to pique Montag's interest, which, you know, sounds familiar. <clears throat> and so he wants to try to read and understand books. Um, he eventually gets turned into the fireman. He's ordered to burn his house down. He refuses, escapes the city, makes it to the countryside. There's all these intellectuals hanging out and they're like memorizing books, committing them to memory so they can save them and preserve them. And, um, then the book basically ends with like a bomb falling on the city and Montag and these intellectuals head back to the city, hoping to rebuild based on like knowledge and kind of making this new world. Yeah, that was Excellent. Also, spoilers. <laughs> oh, spoilers. No, Maybe no, I shouldn't. Should I do another no, one without spoilers? No, no, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Eden okay. and I do spoilers every episode, but we just never say. Yeah. So I'm going to do Lots of spoilers. The whole book. Sorry. The whole book. But also, if you didn't read it in high school, what is happening in this world? Yeah, I feel like yeah. it's yeah, too late for you to get yeah. a spoiler anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, that was so good. Such a good Eden, book. Eden, did you have... It's such a good book. I don't even know where to start, honestly. Yeah, this... it is crazy to your point, Nicole, about how prophetic it is. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's very, I don't know, just like very astute and like a way I don't think at all. I feel like I could never predict something like this, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's kind of like a two in one kind of situation, too. It's, it's not just about books. It's about television as well. Um, and I know that mm-hmm. Ray Bradbury was kind of anti-TV in the beginning because he could see mm-hmm. like what mm. tv could do to people and, and whether or not that could pull people away from reading books and what a world about yeah 
a world without books looks like. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, on this read, this is my third time <clears throat> reading it. Like I really got the parasocial uh, relationship that like Mildred had with um, the family. Like she calls them her mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. and like how many times do we? How often do we catch up with you know keep up with the Kardashians or something like that because mm-hmm. uh, we feel like part of their family or something like that, or like very much totally. about how like media, um, yeah, just how media can't if we don't critically think it could shape how like everything that we think about but how we view things or our own opinions or how to think and stuff like that um i i was really oh yeah go for it no 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 you finish um i'm kind of like all over the place because i have so much to say about this book i love this book um but i was really um, drawn to the fire chief this time around how he he seems to be a very interesting character because he knows books and he quotes them back to to guy quite a lot and i was wondering what you guys thought about that hmm. he kind of like to almost me, weaponizes books to to prove like oh like yeah. look at how terrible books are like yeah yeah I mean, it feels like there are a lot of people in power right now who are banning books who, like, know exactly what they're doing Mm -hmm. and, like, probably are really familiar with these books and are, like, well-educated people who have gone to, like, prestigious schools and, like, in another world wouldn't find any problem with, you know, this book or that book that they're banning. But I think because right now we're dealing with such intense, like, culture wars and, like, politicians who know their base and know what they want and are sometimes praying not all the times but sometimes praying to a base that is less um knowledgeable about certain things or more ignorant to certain things and I think it is very calculated and very um very deliberate something I was also thinking about when you were talking about like tv because I make a joke where I'm like yeah tv raised me because I love television so much, it is my best friend. <laughs> um, so it just kind of, it is scary. And the Kardashians really did become a big part of my life. But um, I remember the first time I read this book, it was like right around the time that iPods were a thing. And I would like go, I bought, like saved up my money and I bought an iPod. And I remember like laying in bed with like headphones in and falling asleep to music. And the next day reading that part where Mildred puts her like buds into her ears. She just tunes out the entire world and she goes to sleep and she ODs. And we don't know if it's intentional or if it's just accidental because she's so not present with life. And I remember being like, holy cow, I'm Mildred. And that's when I was like, Ray is a prophet. Like, how did he know we were going to put stuff in our ears and fall asleep to them? And like, and giant TVs and just like completely like I'm trying right, right now not to watch TV one day a week. And it is breaking me. <laughs> I had no idea how hard it is. Like, I am an addict to very weak storytelling. Um, but, yeah, I, I, like, it's, it is so wild to me how much of Mildred there is in me and in the way I live mm-hmm. my life right now. And that's what's really scary. Yeah. Well, I think going back to Eden's point, too, like, talking about television and how like if you're not thinking critically you can get sucked in or whatever but even when you're thinking critically like 
getting sucked into stories, but even just like, like I'm thinking of keeping up with the Kardashians and like, I think that like I could watch that show and be like, like really critique it and be like these, like here's all these things that are wrong with like celebrity or wealth or whatever. But still my brain is like seeing really skinny bodies or seeing a lifestyle that's appealing and like, whether I'm thinking critically about that or not, it's still like making me want that or affecting me in some way. You know what I mean? Like I noticed that like just even on Instagram, like having so much more body inclusivity on Instagram, like that's also affecting me. Like I notice how much more normal it is for me now to see like a body that's not like stick skinny and not thinking about it as much because it's, I'm more used to seeing that now, which like, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But, like, when I'm scrolling Instagram, I'm not necessarily being a critical thinker. Sometimes yeah. I am, but sometimes yeah. it's just, like, you know, I'm just, like, letting these images yeah. get into my mind and affect me, you know? Mm-hmm. We're not actively engaging in it. We're just passively. Yeah. And I think that's where it gets really, like, it gets really scary. Um, there's this uh, researcher named uh, Sarah Coyne. And she studies uh, family health and things like that. And she has this whole thing about Instagram that the passive use is so bad for our mental health. Active Mm -hmm. use can build community and can be really good for your mental health. So Instagram is not evil, but when we're passively interacting, not, well, I guess you're not even interacting if you're doing it passively, but like when you're passively, you know, witnessing these things, it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's so interesting. And you also see, like, Guy lived very passively until he met that teenage girl, kind of. Like, that kind of woke him up to being, like... Like, an OD is really yeah. serious. You should be <laughs> yeah. aware if if, if your wife is suicidal or if it was just, like, an accident because she didn't know how many she took. Like, that's so scary, and that's, like, mm-hmm. kind of the way it's, like, presented. It's just, like, such, like, people are not living their lives at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like... Going back to, like, the propheticness of this book, like, Clarice mentions how she's afraid of kids her own age with, like, shootings and reckless driving. And we see an example of reckless driving later on. Like, these kids were driving so fast, almost hit Guy, and turned around to try and actually hit him again, uh, or attempt to hit him again. Um, And, yeah, it's like the... The lack of, because <laughs> like books equal empathy, right? Because you get, <laughs> right? We all know the simple equation <laughs> that books equal empathy. And so like this is. Equals better human being. Yeah. And so yeah. like to, and I know that like reading levels are kind of low in the United States now and, um, and it has been going down and I wonder if, well. I don't want to speculate too much, but you know, like Ray Bradbury is speculating, like if these things go away in our lives, if these books go away in our lives, kids will get, start getting scarier in, in a lot of ways. Granted, like we could prevent a lot of things like gun control laws and stuff like that, but, Mm. but in this society. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of connected to it too. Like Like, I think that, like, yeah, he's saying, like, look, this, like, society can collapse without these things. And I think it kind of goes back to, like, what I was saying earlier about, like, like, people are very deliberate about this, you know? Actually kind of just lost my train of thought, dang it. Oh, no worries. Maybe it'll it'll come come back back to me. It'll come back. Um, And we'll edit it right back in. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
on that note, well, I'll see if I think of it. Yeah, while you think about it, um, it also makes me think that this is probably why these book bannings are so successful right now is because we do have so much apathy about books. I think maybe in another generation when we didn't have so much access to TV and entertainment at our fingertips, you know, like, cause I, I stopped reading books like in around college, but also it was when like streaming services became like a big thing. Cause it's a lot easier just to sit down and just like turn on Netflix Whereas before, like, it was, you know, there was, like, specific times that your shows were going to be on. Things were kind of mapped out at different, you know, and I didn't, couldn't afford a TV, so I didn't even have one. So I read a lot more until streaming happened, and then my computer became my TV, and now my phone is my TV. And so it's, like, there, the attachment to books is no longer as involved, and I think it's a lot easier for people to ban books because less people are going to fight about it. There's, like, a few people that are really angry, you know? But I think generally, like, I just feel like there's a lot of people that are like, well, okay, I'm not a big book reader anyways. Like, whatever. Um, that's not the fight they're going to push for. And I think we, we just don't realize the implications. of when you ban books, you're just giving permission to continue that censorship on massive other levels, and it's the first step to... Like, and this sounds so ridiculous, but it's true. And it's scary that it's true, but it's the first step to a fascist society, to a completely controlled society. What themes, like, as you, because we all read, I don't, I'm making an assumption. Did you read this in high school, Natalie? Oh, I actually don't remember if I did. I don't know. When was the first time you read it? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, I feel like when I taught it, I had read it before, which makes me think I had read it in high school. Because this is not, like, the type of book, like, to the point of my thesis. This is, like, not the type of book that I would necessarily... I mean, now I would gravitate towards it. But, like, in high school, I probably wouldn't have been necessarily interested in it on my own. So maybe high school. I mean, definitely my memories with it are, like, more just teaching it a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I don't remember, like, initial thoughts of reading it. Fascinating. Did you guys read it in high school? yeah, Yeah, and I definitely was, like very much like moved this book like changed yeah Yeah. I was like holy cow I like dystopian literature Uh I had no idea yeah yeah Eden what was your experience uh same I read it in high school uh for an English class and yeah I reread it a couple years ago too that was my first time rereading it and just like how how simple the plot is but how impactful it is as well like when Natalie uh, you gave that summary. I was just like, yeah, that's pretty much all that happens. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, so and much. So much of the summary yeah. I gave is like from the beginning of the book. Like, yeah. it kind of does a lot to like set up this world, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Did your impressions like as you both have read this book multiple times? Have your impressions changed? Like, are there new things? Eden, you said that the fire chief really stuck out to you this time. Mm-hmm. Like how, yeah, what has that journey been each time you've read it? And as our society, it continues to change as well. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Natalie, if you have something off the top of your head, go for it. Well, I I don't know. I don't know if there's like new illuminations when I've read it most recently. But I do think that it's like, and I kind of already said this too, but just like whenever I do read it, it's just so interesting and like unnerving that feel like how eerily modern it feels and how many problems it 
illuminates that we still have going on today. And I don't know enough about history. Like maybe part of it is sort of like cyclical. Like I think people who sometimes are able to like predict or like be like, this is going to happen. It's because they have a strong understanding of history and just kind of like the Mm -hmm. cyclical cycle of like the same issues kind of come and go. Um, But yeah, I just think it's like, it's weird reading a book that was written in the (laughs) fifties and be like, Oh, this is like, this is like a, um, what's the word? A commentary on today's society. You know, like that's always a weird feeling. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's jarring. Seriously, I am Mildred like five, at least six days a week. I'm Mildred and it is terrifying. Like how much ibuprofen and Excedrin I'm just popping for because of my like healthcare health stuff. And it's just like, it is, it's unnerving to think. And it's just such a reminder of like, oh, a solution would be to unplug (laughs) be Mm -hmm. a human being and that's also what's crazy about this book i feel like the solutions are so obvious it's just like unplug keep reading and like Mm -hmm. i don't know it also just i always thought it was so crazy the idea of the old lady burning with the books and then like thinking about the holocaust and other things and other experiences like i don't know if this happened during the revolution in china where, like, I don't know if there were a lot of books burned, but I know that, like, control... Yeah, so... And in Russia and all these other places, and, like, I just feel like it's not... It's not a crazy idea to think that that might happen here eventually. And I think that we have to be okay with that fact that it... We're not immune to this future. Mm -hmm. And we have to do something about it, and that woman could be any of us. (laughs) And that's, like, a really scary, jarring thing, too. Like, all these things in this book are so real. And, like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of that feeling of when I read Handmaid's Tale, where I was like, oh, fascinating, especially after the insurrection. It was like, oh, that's how Handmaid's Tale, like, that's how this, that world was created was through an insurrection on the government. And then all these, like, really conservative people did this thing. And it was just like, oh, like, that was really unnerving. It was, it's just jarring to realize, like, like, we're not immune. And I, once again, I'm using a lot of words to say very little, but that's been my, my most recent read was like, oh, shoot, Ray, what would you say if you were alive today? Poetry. (laughs) Lots of rhymes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Ugh. Eden, did you have any additional thoughts about that? Yeah, um, I read this book, the this read around, I re- remember I was trying to read it from the perspective of an acquaintance of mine who, she cited this book as the reason why she was voting for Trump. Um, so that was really interesting. Of uh, And so I had, I had a very specific mindset going in. And there were a few things that the, the fire chief does. And that's probably why the fire chief stood out to me. It's because a few things that he mm. said that I think taken out of context could be pro-Trump, you know, uh, or like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But Well, that illusion of freedom above all things. Freedom above all things. He also has like a whole spiel about minorities. <laughs> About how, like, the mm-hmm. more minorities say that, oh, my feelings are hurt about this, then we censor that. Or my feelings are triggered by that, then we censor mm-hmm. that, or something like that. Uh, and to a degree, it is true, but I don't think, like, I don't think Ray Bradbury agrees with the fire chief. 
right? This is a guy who is well-educated. Like like you were saying, Natalie, uh, this is someone, a politician or someone who is well-educated and knows these things, and yet he chooses to um, kind of inflame culture wars of like, oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. minorities are crushing all of us. And then there was a there was a line later where um shoot, I forgot who it was. Oh, the um, Faber. The guy who helps Montak escape the city. Um he says something along the lines of like, "Oh, the suffocating uh nature that is the majority." Um so like it's it's really interesting just seeing the the arguments there where again if taken out of context could be like i do feel like yeah i'm trying, yeah. still trying to form my thoughts but but like i think either extreme it's probably also talking about the extremes as well of like if we constantly cater to Uh, people who feel like they're not heard then what are we left with Um, but then if we only cater to the majority then there there's nothing left or or something like that I don't know still forming my thoughts around that I think well I think it's interesting like I feel like, I don't know if you saw my face when you were like, oh, my acquaintance read this and that's what made them vote for Trump. And I felt like really surprised, but it's like, like anything that we read or consume, we can figure out a way that it aligns with our worldview, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I think like, yeah, it's like, shouldn't be surprising at all. Like, of course, somebody who's on the other side of what I believe can read the same thing I'm reading and take a completely different message away from it, which is also kind of scary. But that's also, like, why books shouldn't be banned is because we should all be able to have access to these things and, like, come away with our own thoughts and feelings. And sometimes things do change our mind, you know? Like, sometimes books and literature and art do have that ability. I mean, they absolutely have that ability to, like, change us Mm -hmm. um, as well. But... It's also easy to just kind of read into things what you want to read into them. Yeah. And I think that's also why it's important to have these books taught. I think Mm -hmm. having schools, having that structure um, is really helpful because, yeah, like you guys said, it it is critical to, like, it can be interpreted in any way. And I think that speaks to a lot of people's education or understanding. And, like, there is that fallacy of, like, um that belief system that's off that was really used by Trump to to justify people um being mad at minorities for speaking loudly about their issues because they're like they're just complaining this isn't the issue of everyone they're going to ruin it for everybody and that idea that that um that's that these voices are censoring uh making it impossible for people like Trump to say what he really means to say so the word censorship is also really interesting because when we're looking at it and I think a lot of people don't understand freedom of speech at all because they think it's like I can say whatever I want anytime and they don't understand that it's just uh like it protects you from the government mm-hmm. <laughs> um harming you it's the thing that protects you from the government um and that there are limitations to freedom of speech as well and so I think this also speaks to like what does censorship actually mean um and uh just some context 
Ray Bradbury wrote this um, during the second Red Scare and the McCarthy era. And he was inspired by book burnings in Nazi Germany and the ideological repression in the Soviet Union. And um, and he also talks about, like, he had a lot of different, like, interviews from, like, 19, the 1950s up until the 1990s where he kept changing his understanding of what his book's really about. So in the 1950s, he was like, I wrote this because uh, we, there was a huge threat of book burning in the United States. Later on, he was like, this is actually a book about how mass media reduces interest in reading literature. And then in the 90s, he cited political correctness as an allegory for the censorship in the book, calling it the real enemy these days, which would be the, you know, that Trump justification. Mm. And he said that political correctness is labeling, he labeled political correctness as thought control and freedom of speech control. And I wonder if he had that understanding now you know, if he looked at this book now, if he would still agree with that statement about political correctness. Um, because I think, yeah, I think like, I don't know. I just think there's value. It's, there's value to know the full truth of something, of our history, and not to just take out what we're like, ugh. Like, I, think, I do think political correctness, what does that even mean also? Because we also use that as a buzzword mm-hmm. <laughs> to justify just getting angry at people. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want the whole world to just have, like, really clear definitions of each of these things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just, like, you mentioning that censorship, the sec- second, wait, First Amendment. We're talking about Second Amendment so much in <laughs> public do- discourse. Um, <laughs> sorry. The First Amendment is about uh, the censorship, the government censoring. Um, you're, you're protected from the government censoring you. Which is interesting, considering how politicians are the ones passing, like, I'm thinking of yeah. one specific politician. Um, well, two. <laughs> Texas and Florida, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can say their names. It's okay. Um, and, and how there isn't much of an uproar, it seems. Well, there are in, like, the book community. But there's no uproar about them censoring um, versus, like, Facebook, which is a private company and, like, we can talk about how terrible that is on an ethical point, but like technically it is not covered by the first amendment. Yeah. And yet yeah. everyone's up in arms about private companies and yet they're kind of like, whatever about politicians. That's, that's government. Yeah. That's infuriating. Um, I know Eden, you have to go in two minutes. I do. You guys so feel you free can, to carry on the conversation. Yeah, Cause I have a, another question for Natalie. I, I would like to hear how you would teach this book now, this year, especially given what you oh. studied when, in your thesis. Like, how would you make this better? Really quick, I'm, I'm going to log off, but I would also love to hear which books you guys would... Well, you talk amongst yourselves. You can edit this part out. Talk amongst yourselves, and I want to hear what <laughs> books you guys would want to memorize if we ever came to that uh, mm. that society anyway oh wait do you want to like, tell us what books you so want to do memorize a book. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know if i if i had to choose a book um it would be the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian i think mm. by sherman alexi at first i was going to choose never read that. cloud atlas Natalie, but that's so thick, so thick. yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> so thick <laughs> That's a good one. I need to think about that. But yeah, I, I recommend that that book. Cool. Cool. Okay. Okay, you can leave Eden. Okay, see ya. Eden, nice nice meeting you. you. Bye. <laughs> nice chatting with you.
Alexia. And I promise I won't keep you too long, Natalie. But oh, I no, am so fine. curious about like how you how you wove that into your thesis and like and just how you would how you do would try to make this more accessible for students. Yeah, I mean that is a good question and a hard question. Um I mean, I feel like this is just like an easy answer, but like I think I would just like dive into talking about what's going on right now and like yeah. finding all the parallels that we can find. Um I feel like it would be like impossible to teach this without just like naturally talking about all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think also like to your point, like this is why like it's so important that books or that schools and teachers do teach books like this. And, like, of course, there's always going to be people who are like, yeah, because they can brainwash our kids or whatever. <laughs> but it's like, no, they're, like, teaching them to think critically. Like, yeah. And, like, it's not like you're, like, students are always revering you. There's, like, plenty of students who just want to disagree with you, you know, or, like, yeah. want to find the other side yeah. of things. Like, I think that that, like, a classroom fosters a perfect space to be able to, like, for you to be challenged, for a teacher to challenge their students, for, mm-hmm. like, like challenged to be, like, really reciprocal and, um... And, like, learn how to learn how to think and learn how to talk through these things in a way that is, like, smart and yeah. kind and rational. And, you know what I mean? Not, not angry. And um, anyway, yeah. So I think this book would, like, obviously just, like, lend perfectly to current events and what's going on. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, that's what's so crazy about this book is it's so obvious. Like, it's so clearly... Once yeah, again, it's like very the profit thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very. Which is also like a nice thing for high school students, right? Like yeah. sometimes you just like read stuff that's like there's like deep things in this book and like a lot of intellectual conversations to be had, but it's not like hard to figure out what they are. You know, no. like it's very no. clear what the themes are in this book. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, we all and need that sometimes. We need everyone to read it. Um. Did you have any other, um, like, feelings about this book or things that you were like, this is something that I would really like to share with people about this book or about this topic? I don't know. Um, I don't think, I think it's, like, the same thing I keep saying. I just think it's, like, crazy how, (laughs) like, yeah, like you said, like, how prophetic it feels and how current and modern it feels when it was written so long ago um I am curious about why it was banned I actually don't know why it's been banned I feel like I could make an assumption let me I mean it feels like it would be banned like this feels like a perfect book to be banned right now right like just like like this is like extreme (laughs) and it's like not relevant and it's like liberals are freaking out about this and it's not a big deal like that's kind of what I would think but yeah I don't know. Yeah. I think so. So actually you're like completely dead on. So it was first banned in the 1950s, but in apartheid Mm. South Africa. Oh, interesting. And they were burning and banning all these other books. So of course they were going to burn and ban a book that was critical of burning and banning. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, you know, so crazy. Yeah. Like doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and you then, feel like you'd be like, yeah, sure, we'll burn all these books, but of course we won't burn the one about, like, <laughs> it's just, like, too obvious, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, but I also feel like when you're burning that many books or banning that many books, like, it's pretty easy for books to get lost in the shuffle. Like, that's been surprising to me is, like, mm. how many books are on the list of banned and, like, challenged that I've been, like holy cow that has been like I yes. I, I feel like you have to have like a constant notification going on your phone like a push notification like every time another book is banned or challenged because like I just would have no idea because they're just doing it all the time in all these different counties it's well and it's just like I just like don't understand like like we know that banning books just makes people interested in them so like <laughs> it feels almost like it's like it almost feels like it's like this thing of like, oh, we're going to ban books because we want you to read them. But that's like absolutely not what's going on. But no. it's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. You know? anyway. Well, that's that's the Billy Joel thing. Billy Joel claims that he became a real star when the Catholic Church banned his song, Only the Good Die Young, because mm. that's when people found out about him and all the young people went and bought that album was because yes. the Catholic Church... Out, was outspoken about the song Only the Good Die Young. So it was, like, so good for him. It gave him, like, all the publicity that yeah. he needed as an early star. And, like, so... That's really funny. Yeah, so the reason why it's currently banned in the U.S., according to the American Library Association, is because of adult themes. They're, they talk about sexuality, drugs, and suicide. Um, but before... Do they even talk about sexuality? I feel like hardly, but whatever. I don't that's feel like it feels like an easy one. I feel like that's an easy one, and I, in the 80s, it was banned, though, for being, um, wait, no, that was for Catch-22, excuse me, <laughs> who am I? Okay, let me find Fahrenheit. It's also so interesting, Weird. like, you're saying, like, banned for drugs, and then I think about, like, what you were saying that also feels, like, relatable about, like, yeah, like, everyone's, like, taking ibuprofen, that's, like, very, like... <laughs> Like, that's not, like, I mean, maybe it's not, like, the best thing in the world, but it's also not, like, scary. Like, it's It's fine. really harmless. And obviously, we do yeah. have, like, dependent, like, dependency on other drugs and stuff, but it feels, I don't know, if anything, it just feels helpful to be, like, reading a book like this. Like, if you don't want to be talking about drugs or you don't want drugs to be a thing, it feels like read a book like this where you're like, oh, I don't want to be numb to life or, like, I, I don't know. It just feels so counterintuitive all the time. Seriously, that's what's so crazy is, like, I feel like the people... Well, we know this. The people that ban books often have not actually read the book. And so that's the thing is, like, especially during the opioid crisis, you know, like... Yeah. Which we're still in. We pretend it's over just like we pretend the pandemic's over. But, like, we're still in it. It just looks differently than it did in 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, like, it's so topical, like, the idea of people just popping in lots of pills to take care of pain, to numb themselves, and who are clearly, like, Mildred is clearly an addict. Um, and, like, you don't have to use that word to, like, you know, like, he didn't have to use the word addict in order for us to understand, like, oh, she's dependent on these drugs. Because um, she, like, right. pop them right before bed in the morning, like, throughout the day, and she, like, didn't eat that much. I I feel like that was part of it. I need to double check. But... Uh, the other reason why it's been banned is because there's a description of the burning of the Bible. <laughs> oh, funny. And so parents um, protested that violence um, because of the portrayal of Christians and depictions of firemen. They were, like, offended by how firemen were depicted. Um, wow. So it's, I think it's Low just bar. parents that have never read the book. Yeah, who are just like, 
think, yeah, I don't know. But that was in wow. 2006, and it's continually banned by different counties for that. And so, yeah, I don't know. I would have thought it was because of, like, because didn't, yeah, there were, I, like, there's a little bit of, like, obscene language. And the woman burns, you know, she burns with the mm-hmm. books. Like, that's pretty heavy. But, like, yeah. compared to the other books we've read, there's no, there's no sexuality. There's no... yeah. There's no, like, outright being, like, Christians are evil, like the other books we've read. <laughs> like, right. there's not a lot of that kind well, of... Well, again, it's like they're burning a yeah. Bible, and the thesis of the book is, like, don't burn books, you know? like <laughs> Right, Natalie, it's It's so... like teaching you to not burn the Bible, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's so frustrating, because it's like, just read the book! Just read yeah. the book! Yeah. yeah, but I will just put a plug in for Ray Bradbury. I think Ray Bradbury is one of the best writers. Every book I've read of his, The Illustrated Man... Dandelion wine, all every book is just like they're very they're very fulfilling and beautiful and interesting and um really speak to our time better than any other novel I've ever read. And if I had to choose a book to memorize, I would probably do Raise High the Roof Beams Carpenter by JD Salinger, because I love that mm. book. It's a good and yeah. Yeah, it's really, it, there's, like, some really beautiful moments in that book. Um, and it's, like, very motivating. And I'm trying to think if there's any other books that I'd be like, yes. I think it would be that. I think it would be that. Or I really, really loved, and it's just been on my mind today, um, The Scarlet Letter. I don't know if, <laughs> I mm. feel like that'd be weird for me to memorize that one, but... I really, like, I'm craving it right now, so maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. But I think that's, like, such a beautifully written a book and such a beautiful around. written. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. book. It's, it speaks to so many things. I don't know. What would you memorize? Yeah. I don't know. I need to glance at my bookshelf. One thought I had was um, Catcher in the Rye because <sighs> my high school students loved it. Like, it's, like, one they would read on their own and just love. <sighs> and it's fun, you know? Yeah, I love Catcher in the Rye And it's not, so like, much. too serious. No. So maybe that one. For the for the purpose of this question, it's not like my favorite book. I think it's a great book, but it's not like if I could only read one book for the rest of my life, I wouldn't choose that one. But Which one would you like choose? A good classic that everyone likes. Yeah. I don't know. Also a very banned book is Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I feel like if you're going to do that, you have to memorize like a banned book. Like something yeah. that's like <laughs> maybe going to get burned out of existence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which Scarlet Letter fits that, Jay Saunders fits that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good one, though. But, yeah, what is your favorite book, Natalie? I love The History of Love by Nicole Krause. I, like, gift that to everybody. I love it so much. I've never read that. I've never even I heard about it. I to Trevor. Okay, I need to read it. I'm going to go so see he might if he have has one. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also love, I'm, like, looking at my bookshelf for ideas. I love The Bell Jar, which is, like, another one that could be a good, like, book to memorize. Yeah, that would be a really good um, book to memorize. Yeah. And, like, looking, yeah. Those yeah. Are probably some of mine right now. What about you? This is, like, always the hardest question. I know. Honestly, yeah, ugh, J.D. Salinger is very important to me because, like, reading Catcher in the Rye was the first time I was like, oh, I think I have depression. Like, mm. oh, I understand Holden. Like, mm. I I now get, like, oh, 
he's in an asylum at the end. Huh, maybe I should mm-hmm. get help. You know, that was like a big like light bulb thing for me. I guess I just said that book wasn't serious, but I forgot about the ending. Yeah. Well, it is serious, but it's also not. Like it's, it's like, like lighthearted. It does like, it in a he's way funny that and like yeah. Yeah, it does it in a way that's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we can work with this. Um so any of his work, any of JD Salinger's books are like they're just like Franny and Zoe, all of those books are just so like like comfort books for me but recently um I don't know I really need to think about it that's hard yeah the bell jar is also so beautiful I've started reading a lot of um bell hooks and her writing mm. is just gorgeous mm. so I feel like it would be something where like the prose is just really pretty where like I can yeah. read one sentence and just feel like it was poetry, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, um, I okay, no, no, no. I think it'd be Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. I think that's oh, my favorite book. I actually book. haven't read that either. So I just years. read it this year and it made me oh, cry. Wow. It was okay. like really beautiful and like empowering and just like heartbreaking, but it was like, it just was really beautiful. Cool. Um, highly recommend it. I think that's my favorite book right now. Cool. Wow. I have it on my bookshelf too, I think. So I will read it, Natalie. Yeah. Read it and then It'll tell me. I want to make now. Okay, after you've read it, I'm going to I want to make like little like like a thing for my wall of one of the quotes from the book cuz I've looked everywhere and it's not anywhere and I feel like it should oh. be. But if you read it and you like the book, I'm going to make you the quote thing for your wall okay. as well cuz it's so ah. Okay. Uh, it's okay, so good. good. I'm excited. Um I don't have any other thoughts. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? I don't think so. I think we covered everything, honestly, from my perspective. The, like, I think Guy is just a really beautiful human being. And I feel like we all have the potential to be able to step out of our lives and start actively mm-hmm. using our agency to become people again. Honestly, I really enjoyed talking to you about this. It was so good to talk to you, too. I always love chatting with you. I love chatting with you. I think you're so book is produced by us, Nicola Okorin and Eden Wen. Music written by me, Nicola Okorin, and produced and performed by my dad, Frank.